Well, should we do an episode? This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Adventures in Angular. Ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to our classes in St. Louis or San Francisco, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by Telerik, the makers of Kendo UI. Kendo UI integrates seamlessly with both AngularJS 1.x and 2.0. It provides everything you need to integrate with AngularJS out of the box, bindings, component configuration directives, template directives, form validation event handlers, and much more. And yet, Kendo UI tooling does not depend on AngularJS, so if you want to use it with Angular or not, that's totally up to you. You can check it out at kendoui.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 92 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have John Papa. Hello. Jules Kramer. Hello. Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. Lucas Rubelke. Yo. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, that's Sean Larkin. Hey, how's it going, guys? We're doing all right. You want to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name's Sean Larkin, obviously. I'm a user experience developer at Mutual of Omaha. I'm not originally from Nebraska, but I've lived here for the past five years, and I'm obsessed with Angular 2 and Webpack, and uh, I've had the fortunate opportunity to be able to talk about that in a workshop for ng-comp. Now, when I hear people compare Webpack to, say, Ember, they say it's configuration over configuration. Is, is that the case? I mean, I hear it's like this configuration nightmare sometimes. Well, I think that it really depends. At first glance, it is daunting because you look at 50 lines of code that could accomplish what it takes about 500 lines of grunt or gulp code. You know, kind of changing that mindset that you're right, it is configuration. And there is a learning curve because there's new, just like AngularJS, there's new terminologies, whether it be compilation, loaders, plugins that we haven't really seen before in the web app building processes. Gotcha. So I went right for the jugular. Uh, do you want to explain really quickly what Webpack is and I know we've done a show on build tools before, but kind of give us the 10,000-foot view. What, what is it? What does it do? And why are people using it? Well, Webpack lets you – I mean, what doesn't it do is the first question. At least that's usually what I tell everybody. Webpack is a web application bundler. Even more than just a web application, it's a module bundler. It's a JavaScript and static asset bundler. What Webpack does is it takes one or multiple entry files, which kind of serve as the contextual – root of your uh, dependency tree through your your application or module. And then Webpack kind of walks through its dependencies, whether it be JavaScript, CSS, HTML, icon files, anything. And uh, it treats it like a module and then bundles it up into a single or many JavaScript uh, bundles. That was a lot of big words. <laughs> That's the elevator pitch. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to act 
totally confused here and say, I want you to like, give me a static, an example of why I should care about that. I got a project, Angular, using script files to load my files. Everything seems to be working good. Why should I care? So I guess you'd say the way that people are developing JavaScript files is that it changes every two months or three months. Uh, module dependency has... has I wish it was that stable. <laughs> That's true. Okay, two weeks. But <laughs> the way that modules are declared, defined, required, imported, uh, it changes so much. So whether it be CommonJS, your traditional script tag, variables in the global window scope, or in Node, AMD, UMD, Webpack can handle any of those files and understand what their imports are. So the first thing is it's really flexible to any development stack. So let's say you're you know using PHP and Laravel and you have to serve your assets up at a specific path. Well, Webpack can do that. Let's say you want to build a node module that targets node for CommonJS. Well, you can do that. Let's say you want to load all of your less files into one file and bundle it in a JavaScript file. Webpack can do that. The, the power behind Webpack is that you can define what are called loaders, which essentially tell Webpack how to treat a file based on its extension. So if it sees .less or .css or .stylus, anything, you can define community-driven plugins that will handle those assets appropriately. Some of my favorite things about it are, let's say, like image loaders or URL loaders. Um, you have the opportunity to take image files that you traditionally have to serve up statically, you know, aside from your build process, and uh, Webpack can automatically encode them into Base64 in line. So there's a lot of enhancements and uh, optimizations that in the current platform, uh, you know, for web being HTTP1, having one or two sole bundle files or applications is really great and convenient. So basically, it just manages your entire build process? Everything. Yeah, it manages every aspect of the build process. So how does that compare with, so Webpack is a lot of configuration, and we've had something in the past like Grunt, which is all configuration. How do those two compare? And then if you could take this further and say, how does Webpack overlap or not overlap with things like Grunt and Gulp? So like Grunt and Gulp is more of a task runner, and so so essentially you're performing kind of uh, a series of tasks that, you know, that we'd probably just deem, you know, time-consuming or, you know, such as concatenating a JS file or um, Grunt will go ahead and run, well, actually in Gulp as well, they iterate through all the files that you pass it and then you perform tasks on it. It's similar in terms of the syntax where Webpack, you know, to configure it, you define it as a an object and then you export it. But Webpack treats it differently as it's compiling and bundling through these files, you have the ability to take and augment the behavior through every step. And there's a lot of plugins that are baked right into Webpack, such as handling different types of exports to code splitting to using occurrence order. You can take and apply a whole bunch of different plugins. I mean, simply so, said, yeah, I mean, I can what really say. I mean, right, but simplest. the things that it's doing is the same stuff that Gulp or Grunt does. So I guess. The things that it accomplishes are the same. I guess I'm trying to understand how would you differentiate the value or the pros and cons of uh, Webpack compared to these other two then? I'd say one can do it with about 50 lines of code and grunt and gulp. You know, it, it might require 200 or 400 lines of code. Some of the experiences that I've had with grunt and gulp is that after they're set up, you don't want to touch it. 
and you kind of step away and are kind of afraid to go back and configure it because it's kind of hard to maintain. So does Webpack manage a lot of this stuff through plugins or is it all just kind of there and you just have to have the right dependencies installed or how does that work? Okay, so it's a combination of both actually. When it comes to loading JavaScript files, uh, there are some native CommonJS compatibilities that Webpack automatically can pick up and require JavaScript files and JavaScript files. But let's say you want to use TypeScript or let's say you want to use ES6 style classes. You have to use specific loaders based upon what kind of files you're importing. So yeah, Webpack is really driven by a collection of plugins and loaders that uh, augment the behavior of what Webpack does. So how does this relate directly to Angular? I mean, I remember back in the day we would have these build tools for Angular and it would minify and that would goof everything up. So we had to use the funny syntax to make sure that we had the string and the import library and then it would inject everything properly and not rename the wrong variables. Are are there Uh, tools that are just built into Webpack or is there some kind of uh, system that you use for that? Like I said, there's lots of community-driven plugins and loaders. So in your case that you've talked about right there, the ng-annotate loader, essentially what you do is you chain it to the JavaScript loader. Um, and essentially what happens is that when the ng-annotate loader runs through any of your Angular directives or files that have the dependency injection, it includes automatically for you the specific comment required to use strict DI. And it's as simple to implement as installing ng-annotate-loader and then chaining it onto your loaders in your config. This ng-annotate, that's what I was trying to remember. Yep. So are there any, I mean, it seems like, okay, you know, it's a build tool like any other build tool. Are there any downsides? Yeah, absolutely. And (laughs) I'm starting to figure it out now more than anything because speaking at ng-conf, my original, you know, I kind of went into the mindset that, I need to make something incredible and ridiculous and, you know, kind of break the ground in terms of, you know, what Webpack can do and push the limits. And then I realized that, you know, really Webpack is maintained by one developer. And his name is Sokra Tobias Coppers on his free time for about three to four hours a week. At least that's what he's mentioned before. And so when it comes to the core Webpack functionality, that's one of my concerns is that it's a huge project that I wish some company would just pay him to write full time only because there's such community backing. And in terms of trending and bundlers and process management systems, uh, you know, Webpack has kind of the market share right now. So you said a few things that I think are really interesting. And I love build tools. I love Grunt and Gulp. Uh, I haven't used Webpack as much, but I've used it a little. You, it sounds like you're saying that you'll write less code with Webpack. So I'd, I'd like to clarify if that's what you meant. And then on top of that, if you are writing less code with Webpack, I'm assuming that you're implying that the plugins in Webpack and the design of it make it such that you don't have to write as much custom code like you do in Gulp or Grunt to do the same things. If that's the case, then how do you customize things? Like if you have a very specific type of build process you want, uh, how do you tap into that so it's not black box? Yeah, absolutely. Uh the best way is to write a custom loader or a custom plugin. Essentially, the way that Webpack was written is that when you create a custom loader, all you're doing is returning a function that takes a compilation argument. You essentially, this or this dot is within the compiler context. And so what, what I really like about it is that by simply creating a test string, which is a regex string for, uh, let's say, JavaScript files, 
uh, or TypeScript. I'll use the example because I just wrote a, a custom loader because there was something that was really irritating me. Let's paint the scenario. Say I want to not have to write requires in my Angular 2 components to pull templates and styles. Originally in Angular 1, with just Babel or regular JavaScript, I could do an import template from template.html and it would return me the string. But with TypeScript and typing, that import is a reserved namespace for TypeScript compiler, and so it throws a lot of errors. So what you can do is I wrote a custom plugin that would take and read my TypeScript files first, and it would just do a regex replace of an import with a require. And so that way I could continue to write imports, but then it turns it into a require and then passes it to the TypeScript loader. Right, so like in Gulp or Grunt, you would just create a custom task in Gulp, or you create your own custom task in, in Gulp or Grunt. One's code, one's configuration to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. But what about this config that Charles alluded to in the beginning? We hear a lot about Webpack, like you generate a basic Webpack, and you end up with this massive config. Is that real? Is that false? Like, what's in there? You know what? I blame Patrick Stapleton because he's made some of the most awesome full-featured Webpack configurations. <laughs> But full featured, I like that term. Full feature. Well, it's like the beauty in Webpack is almost it's kind of it's like a sword without a sheath where you like accidentally shank yourself at the same time when you hold it. Where essentially the fact that it can do anything makes people want to do anything. So like for example, let's say a good example is if you looked at the ng webpack starter. There are three different configs and they're using a webpack merge which essentially is doing a object merge and essentially what that does is it it allows you to customize your environments for specific reasons but on top of that there's all these extra features that allow you to let's say oh do you want to use and target web workers okay you can do that with webpack there's a, a web worker target do you want to target node and electron do you want to target node webkit do you want this to be a node library do you want it to export an umd um and so like all these awesome amazing features people will get really grandiose ideas and want to make you know the angular 2 webpack advanced seed ultra mega do everything internet of things repository and yeah it does look a little daunting <laughs> So I want to change gears here for just a moment because we've been talking a lot about kind of raw code goes into Webpack and it comes out, and I think that's super beneficial. But I had a a situation maybe a week ago that I think is worth chatting about, and that is I delivered a project to a client, and there were some political things going on, and the story came back that, oh, you're using Angular, that's heavy, you know, we need to stop and see what's going on here. This may not be the right solution. And incidentally, I was using it was Angular 1 with ES6 and uh, using the NG6 starter from uh, Angular class, which I love. And so yes. what I did is I got SiteSpeed IO, the Gulp plugin, which is really, really awesome. And I was able to just run some metrics on this application. And so SiteSpeed IO was based on kind of these industry accepted best practices. And so right out of the box, because of what Webpack was doing by taking all of the JavaScripts, all of the CSSs, all of the HTMLs, basically all of these assets and bundling them into one or two files, that I basically hit a, I think it was like a 90 out of 100 right out of the gates. And so that's something, when you're talking about Webpack, I don't hear very often, but you actually get this really kind of optimized build 
right out of the gates because it's taking everything and bundling it into these really optimized files that's really nice to consume. One of the things that I did get uh, dinged on was kind of the larger file size. But when you are on a mobile device, the worst possible thing that you can do is actually making you know remote calls, especially over uh, 3G on a mobile device. That's the most expensive operation. And so in this case, it was fine to take that large payload hit up front because you're minimizing resource requests you know, over the mobile network. And so that kind of one is now I had these kind of clear defined metrics of like, no, this, you know, Angular is not huge. This site is actually very optimized thanks to Webpack. And I pretty much walked into a meeting, you know, put these numbers out there and did a mic drop and walked away. And the nice thing is I didn't actually even have to think about, you know, any kind of performance or what was coming out of, you know, like I didn't think about it at all because Webpack actually bundled that all up for me. And then I just had to use Sitespeed.io to, to verify that, you know, basically put some numbers around it. And I was extremely pleased about, you know, the outcome around that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of my favorite parts. And it kind of the analogy that I'm always reminded of that I heard at a local Nebraska JS talk was that HTTP 1, when it comes to loading files, is, is like a train. So it's slow to start and slow to stop. But when it, actually picks up speed, the transfer is actually really fast. And so a single build file or maybe one or two build files is really, really great for HTTP 1 and it allows your assets to be loaded really quickly. You know, for me personally in the projects that I work on at Mutual of Omaha, I might sometimes split them up into like a vendor bundle so then I can, you know, that can be cached and my app won't be cached. But, I mean, you know, overall, you're right. Biggest, you know, pull that most, like you said, people don't talk about is that it's really optimized for the current landscape of, you know, web loading and HTTP. For free. For free. Exactly. Yeah, for free. That doesn't even count tree shaking. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One of the things that I think is kind of interesting is the fact that Webpack is coming along after Gulp and Grunt, right? Sorry, I put, put those in the wrong order. We had Grant, then we had Gulp, and now we've got Webpack. And it's kind of like the flavor of the day. In some cases, you feel like, we're doing Grant, now we're all doing Gulp, now we're all doing Webpack. Is there a risk you think that we're going to be seeing everybody migrating to yet another tool here in six more months? And we're all going to be wondering, ah, now what do I do? I guess you could ask React developers the same thing, because my joke is that you know, we see a new app seed or boilerplate using a different bundler quicker than React state libraries. But I guess the best thing is that if something better comes out that does, you know, what Webpack does and more, heck yeah, why not switch to it? I mean... Because it's a pain in the butt. <laughs> yeah, that, that's where I get to. And this isn't just Gulp or Webpack or Grunt, but anything you have to switch to, a lot of large businesses, or even me, is they want to take a bet on something they can stick with for a indeterminate amount of time. Maybe it's a year, maybe it's three years. You know, they have something in mind where they're like, you know what, we're going to place a bet on one of these as long as it does the job and we can handle it. We're going to live with that for a couple of years. And I don't think any of these, frankly, are bad choices. They're all good choices. I also don't think you're going to be in a hole if you choose any of them. Meaning, if you choose Grunt, Gulp, or Webpack, you're going to have a build process and you're going to be able to do what you want. It's not like one of them going to leave you at a cliff somewhere and you just can't get past it. 
Uh, so on that side, I don't think it's worth just changing just because it's flavor of the week. And I am that 100% sure it will be a new one within another year. Yeah. I mean, I'm still using Scriptaculous because I'm not sure about this whole jQuery thing. <laughs> <laughs> there might be something you know, what's new funny coming is, <laughs> What's funny is I, I think classifying these is interesting. So we've said for a while, before Webpack came out, we said, you know, Grunt is great. If you're not a developer even, you just want to have a, a config file, a JSON file. You know, so a non-dev can actually do it because they just need config. The downside is you can't really break point into it or debug it, and the sequence of events isn't very obvious. Gulp, on the other hand, is great if you're a dev because you can break point and walk through that, and it's a little more intuitive for devs. But the downside there is if you're not a dev, you have no idea what you're doing because it's code. Webpack, the way I've looked at it, and tell me what you think, Sean, is that's a little bit more on the grunt side where it's configuration, but it's a little easier than grunt in the sense a lot of that stuff's kind of come out of the box and instead of like pulling in a task and having to plug it in with configuration, you're really just tapping into pre-existing plugins. Yeah, absolutely. Trying to work Webpack into your stack is as hard as doing an NPM install and adding the extra functionality. Or like you said, yeah. Which is hard for some people, Sean. So and, <laughs> oh, no, I wouldn't I would not underestimate that. I've seen a lot of people yes, struggle with NPM. So uh, yeah, that, corporations true. that don't allow certain things, right? Well, I do work for an insurance company, so I can relate to that. Yeah, I mean, I would say in terms of the learning curve, it's a little daunting at first, but it kind of combines the best things about Grunt and Gulp together and adds kind of sugar on top of it and extra features that you're like, can it do this? And yes, it can. I mean, there has been a case where, okay, I'll give one example. And somebody on Stack Overflow said, can I use Webpack to include a CSS file in my email templates? So, I mean, yes, I'm sure it's possible, but that's probably the first case that anybody's asked me in terms of configuration or stacks, you know, if Webpack can meet their needs. So if I could change the topic a little bit as well, I'm curious what your opinion will be on Webpack with uh, Angular 2. Well, what's awesome about Angular 2 is that now that it's using TypeScript, you don't have to do as much with Webpack to fit it into the ecosystem in terms of JavaScript and importing dependencies. In terms of typing and definitions is maybe another story. You know, I spent a lot of kind of my first you know, frustrations with Angular 2 and Webpack really just resolved around configuring the TypeScript config files and making sure where to tell TypeScript where all these definitions were. And maybe that's even separate from Webpack itself. But you get a lot of the same awesome features like being able to, you know, inline your CSS with a require statement. You can inline your templates with a require statement, which, I mean, in my opinion, yeah, I use Sublime Text 3. And so being able to actually kind of have the awesome features like Emmet in my HTML, you know, makes it easier to write templates, uh, you know, for Angular 2 components. And so I like being able to not only have the separation of concern for readability, but um, it's faster than template URL because you never have to make a request. There's also things like when it comes to, I guess, if you looked at web uh, Angular 2 Seed Advanced, um, which is a really... I'm not going to say feature-rich again, but it's a repository that aims at trying to use a core set of Angular 2 components and then a development platform that targets three whole platforms, so desktop, mobile, and in the web itself. What's really neat about, you know, and that's written in Gulp, 
I think one of my you know goals for the future is to maybe try and make a Webpack version of that if Patrick Stapleton doesn't beat me to it. What's awesome is that Webpack can not only handle optimizing and removing any duplicate code between your dependencies, but you can automatically target different systems. So like one of them is for no WebKit or Electron. Well, automatically off the bat, Webpack can wrap your code and make it bootstrappable for uh, you know Electron or Native Script or any of these frameworks that are out today. So what about Webpack and Angular 1? <laughs> so that's where kind of I fell in love with Webpack in general was working in Angular 1. The first exposure that I had was, like you said, the NG6 starter, I believe what it's called. That is correct. Yep. I created a repository at kind of my first few weeks at Mutual of Omaha that, you know, the whole point was I wanted to give people something that they could instantly spin up a single page application. But at the same time, a designer could jump in and could immediately be able to, you know, edit templates and work hand in hand with the developer and push changes. And so I used that and kind of ripped out some pieces that I disagreed with added some extra functionality that I really liked from a couple different repos, and I came up with a too obnoxiously named to speak about it on the air Webpack uh, Angular 1 repository that you know I use every day. I think maybe the best part is the generators that allow you to build the structure, as well as since you are using requires and exports, instead of ever having to use the Angular setter or getter more than once, you can essentially define your app module at your entry file. And then as you have your components, or in this case, your directives, your controllers, everything is a function which is exported that takes an argument, which is your app module. And so what I really like is that you never have to call angular.module you know, and call your module and then define something on it. It makes it really nice because you can rip out a component and put it in a completely different project that uses this structure. It's really modular and it and it makes the Angular development really nice. So is there a good place to get started with Webpack if you're building an Angular app? Or if you don't really have a solid build process inserting it into an existing Angular app? I could shamelessly promote you know, the two repos that I use. In terms of Angular 1 and Webpack, you can certainly take a look at the NG6 starter. The one that I have is called Angular Starter ES6 Webpack on GitHub. But you can just find my repo on the Lark N. Uh, with two ends and, and take a look at it. It kind of hooks up a little bit more than what the ES6 starter had, but both are a really great resource. If you want to learn Webpack and the fundamentals, some of the best links that I can provide are those, you know, the repos to Angular class. Uh, what they're doing right now in terms of building all these repositories and bootstrappers that, you know, kind of give you an application shell and let you, you know, start off right away. That's the kind of way that I learn. It lets you kind of pull out pieces, break things, and put it back together and figure out, you know, how it works. I would also like to point out, because Joe would not say this, but he actually has an excellent course on Pluralsight. That's how I learned Webpack. I just oh, thanks. Saw it. Yeah. Sorry, what did you say? You just what? I just saw, or I just found out about that uh, Pluralsight course. So uh, I'm, I'm going to take it myself and see what I <laughs> in terms of the knowledge. Well, let me let me know if there's anything I missed as well. Any other uh, things that we should tackle on this? Did we talk about how the different Angular 2 builds? Like how many different ones there are? Oh, like Webpack's relationship with Angular 2 builds, and there's plenty of other ways to do it. 
are you seeing like different, you know, Webpack being one and then the other like System.js, JSPN, yeah. Browsify? Yeah. So, all right, let me ask, let me make this into a question. When you're looking at considering Angular 2, right, a lot of the tutorials out there are using System.js basically as a, a TypeScript as their build. No Webpack. There's definitely yep. Webpack starter kits out there that make things easier. Mm-hmm. But why should you even, those are, you know, not the de facto, let's say. Why should you look and say, take the extra effort to look at using Webpack with your Angular 2 build? Well, it's tough because, you know, in the weeks coming, I've been really conflicted after talking with some of the developers for the Angular 2 CLI, as well as uh, Pascal Prect. You know, I was kind of getting advice and saying, you know, I really want to provide people with the simplest, easiest exposure to Angular 2 and Webpack because one, what's out there right now is complex and the configurations with TypeScript are kind of, you know, are a little daunting at first. But what's nice about System.js is it's really more about how it requires files in the browser or kind of emulates a file system, uh, which is cool and it allows things like Plunker to work awesome with Angular 2, but it's not a bundler and it can't take and, you know, convert your left your less files into CSS, or it can't allow you to use post-CSS plugins. I see Webpack as bridging the gap or filling all the excuses for not wanting to use a new, re- you know, a new build system or a new framework. So many times I hear, you know, oh, well, we don't have support for this, or we're using less now, or we're using SAS, or uh, we can't use TypeScript, or let's say, you know, we, we can only export our, our code in script tags. And you'd be surprised how many times I've heard that. You know, Webpack can really handle all of those things. You know, what I've seen in the past is that it kind of pushes people over the hill to be able to start using something like Angular 2, which they thought was a huge, daunting task. Speaking of over the hill, Ward, do you have any questions? <laughs> Correct me, Ward, please. Man. <laughs> well, dude, I, uh, I am, you know, this is not my strength, though. I'm just sitting here, you know, letting it wash over me. But there are things that I swear I'm watching in System.js do, like transpiling, like Celeste and SAS. And anyway, I've seen it used in combination with other things. And I know it can be used to bundle. So I'm confused by some of the claims. But, I mean, I'm not an expert in it. You know, I try very hard not to know anything about either of them. So I'm lost. But I I swear that it does these things. Well... But, ah, John knows better. See, John... The best thing about my life is that Google answers most of my questions as a developer every day. And so it looks like you're right, is that it can support preprocessors. It's got plugins and all kinds of things. Yes. Yeah, System.js does do some build things, but it it doesn't do nearly what Gulp and Grunts and Webpack do. I mean, it's it's mostly it's a a simple, very simplistic preprocessor, but mostly it's there for module loading which is a different story than a build process. But doesn't it also do bundling, John? I thought there was all of this... Uh... JSPM does. JSPM oh. does bundling, which is has a piece of system JS, but it's it's really not the same thing, and that's where I, get, I think it gets a little weird. Is System JS, like, forget build systems for a minute. If we're just trying to find something that does module loading, today that's what the Angular team's using system JS for. They're not using it for a build process. But... You know, they could if they wanted to, but it's, I don't think it would be the right choice. If you didn't want to use System.js, could you use Webpack to do module loading, Sean? You wouldn't want to because System.js replaces the need to bundle the files. Not, not entirely. So System.js, like in a raw file system, you can load one file and let them load one at a time. But you can also use that with JSPM to create bundles. 
So it's loading sections at a time too, if you want. But if you wanted to forget like how it works with it, but if you just wanted to use import module and then go, how do you do that with Webpack? Like what code would you write to kick off the project in Webpack? In Webpack to, to allow it to import files. Like, like for, let me say some other way. In the Angular 2 samples right now, the first line of code is system import main. It starts with a single main.ts file. That would go away if you weren't using system.js because that's part of system.js. Um, how would we replace that to call the starting point in an Angular 2 app webpack? In that case, all you'd have to do is use bundle.js because what happens is that Webpack takes and converts it into, transpiles all that TypeScript files in the dependency in the entire dependency tree into one or multiple bundles. So it's just like putting a script tag inside your browser. Are you saying without or with system.js? Without, because I've often heard it referred to as, hey, we can also do module loading with Webpack. Uh, and one of the things module loading does is you tell it, what file do I start with? Where in this code, whether it's in a bundle or not, where do I start my code so I can kind of continue the dependencies? Oh, I think, I, you know what, this is actually the exact same thing that I talked with somebody on the Angular CLI team about. Are you talking about on-demand module loading? No, just, just kicking off the project. Like, you, you've seen the samples, right, where it says system.import main TS. Yep. It's, that says, go look at this file. That's where I'm going to call the bootstrap code for Angular. Correct. If that code isn't there, because that's part of system.js, the system there, if we don't do that line of code, something has to tell it where does my project begin. And I know Webpack's got to have it. I'm just not familiar enough with it to know how you do that. Webpack takes and defines kind of a an anonymous, I don't want to call it anonymous function, but it, it wraps all of the code inside of the project inside its own private scope. And then Webpack chains all the, mo the modules that it has loaded in dependency tree and requires them based upon, essentially builds a syntax tree to know exactly what files are needed by which. But they are called not on-demand yet, but they're all essentially loaded at once to be able to tell what, let's say, your Angular 2 bootstrap, where to load or pull your dependencies from. It's kind of like it makes a mini-environment that allows you to import files within you know, the browser runtime. I wish I could pull up and show a Webpack build file without the Uglify.js so I could explain it a little bit better. But this is one of the biggest hurdles that trying to explain the configurability, you know, you can say, hey, you can split your code into five chunks and then share those chunks between, you know, share some of your code or your vendors and make them all instead of having to duplicate dependencies through each of the modules that you're using. Yeah, so let, let's say you, you do that. You make the different chunks and stuff. That That's just the chunks or the modules or the dependencies. But someplace in your app, you have to tell it, where do I start my code? Is there like a, a configuration setting in Webpack that oh, yeah, says... That's, yeah, that's your entry file, essentially. Okay, that, that's what I'm saying, is there's got to be something that tells it, start here. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about so, that. <laughs> no, no, but no worries. It's hard to talk about it and not look at it. So instead of system import main, I, which I do in system.js, I would just set an entry file inside of Webpack. Yeah, right. absolutely. Uh, okay. The entry file serves as your contextual root, I guess. That's the best way I've been able to describe it. So yeah, I, the entire app. I, I think that's good. You, you explained it well because that's really – forget Angular, forget the Internet, forget any specific technology. If you take over someone else's project or you're learning a new technology, one of the first things people look for, whether they admit it or not, is if I start this app, what's the first line of code to run? <laughs> it's you know, so it's, it's It really is. I mean, that's – 
And it's, it helps you get context, especially when you're looking at an app that some of the apps I deal with are thousands upon thousands of files. And it's like, oh, my gosh, where do I start? You know what? In an Angular app, I'm looking for main. <laughs> That's been actually one of the most enjoyable parts, even Webpack aside, but working with Angular 2 is that you don't have to just automatically know where, you know, core functionality comes from. You know, if you want to extend something, all you have to do is follow the import tree to see exactly where it comes from. Follow the exports and the imports, and you can see exactly where core classes are, what they're trying to do. And Very cool. It makes it way easier, especially when it's typed, uh, you know, to see what they're expecting. And in the same way, that was, you know, half the fun of being able to work with Angular 1 and Webpack is that it kind of provided that same functionality that you're getting now in Angular 2. So, Sean, I have one last comment, and I think this is something I hope you're signing up for, and that's the Angular CLI team is uh, one of their goals is to try to work with things like Webpack, System.js, Gulp, Grunt, Broccoli, whatever you want to use. I know they would love to hear from you about how do we best integrate Webpack into CLI if somebody wants to go that path. Are you going to help them? Yeah, Mike Brokey already said he would he was going to deny my pull request if I tried to implement Webpack with CLI. Um, I think that, you know, I, I brought it up a couple of times, actually, because it's so popular. It feels like it would be a shame or, you know, a crime to not, you know, include Webpack into the CLI functionality. So, yeah, that's actually one of the – there's two things that I really wanted to tackle in terms of Webpack and Angular 2 development, at least in open source. One is being able to – incorporate Webpack into the CLI and two, being able to have, you know, a one Webpack config to build all the things, you know, repository, which may have been taken care of already now that, you know, as weeks go on. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, right now their current stance, or at least the kind of feel that I've gotten from it is that because Webpack doesn't support things like on-demand loading modules that, it's not optimized for Angular 2. It's a feature that's coming in Webpack 2, you know, the tree shaking, dead code elimination, on-demand lo- uh, module loading. But I would love to see it because there would be, you know, nothing greater than having a bootstrap project instantly created for you, you know, with the Webpack configs that you need. Well, I know that we've talked to the CLI team. I mean, I clearly work on the Angular team, and we have had discussions in the CLI team about ensuring that it works with Webpack and that we don't ignore the fact that Webpack does have such a huge audience. So it's on the list, but probably just something that the team hasn't looked at yet. Yes. I think what I was told is wait till after the conference. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I've uttered that at least 15 times today alone. (laughs) Wait, there's a conference? There's a conference? What conference? (laughs) I'm watching Brad Green create the keynote slides as we speak. What conference? Ooh, can can you give us some inside knowledge? Can I give you some inside knowledge? He's going to talk about Angular 2. I think he's going to talk about Angular 2. I could be wrong, but I'm fairly sure that's the topic. Yeah. You guys suck. Okay. Might have something to do with web applications. Maybe, maybe he'll talk a little bit about performance. I just, you know, spitballing here. I'd like to hear about Universal working with PHP and Drupal, since that's my company's stack, kind of. Oh, yeah? Um, actually, there's going to be a longer talk on that at DrupalCon if you're going. Uh, Igor will be going there to give that talk. Where can I find more information about that? Because I would love to see that. If I had been prepared for that question, I would have had the conference website at my fingertips. But it's <laughs> DrupalCon, so there's this other website called Google. And I'm pretty sure if you Google DrupalCon, you'd find it. What? Let's 
Okay. Oh, Google. How do you spell It actually should be at angular.io slash events as well, since it is Igor attending. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get to some picks. All right. My pick, I can go first, because my pick is in an attempt to make myself less lonely, (laughs) sort of. (laughs) So I hike a lot, and I like to hike on very long um, hikes. I found that the average friend, when I say, hey, let's go on a hike, they're like expecting a a one-and-a-half-mile hike, you know, to somewhere very popular. But I'm more like the let's find a really secluded place where if we get lost, no one will find us and go 10 miles out and hope for the best. And so usually my phone doesn't work. But I recently ran across this thing called GoTenna. It's at GoTenna.com. And it basically lets you create your little mesh network uh, within a certain mileage footprint. So I'm up in Mountain View right now. I live in San Diego, as you know, and they're sitting on my doorstep. And I cannot wait to find a very long and secluded hike and a friend to go with me over the weekend. Wait, I don't understand. What does it do? (laughs) So, Joe, you climb a tree first. (laughs) I understand that. That I understand. I've done that many a time. So it basically allows you guys to, or allows people to be able to create their own small network, right? Within a certain, you know, mileage capacity. And I don't remember exactly what that is off the top of my head. So that you can connect to each other via text. So imagine you get off trail, you've lost one of your friends, and you all have these go tennis. It's a little teeny thing that just sticks inside on the outside of your backpack. And it allows you guys to have your own little network so you can connect kind of like a walkie-talkie of today. That sounds a lot more practical than what I was envisioning. All right, Joe, what are your picks? I've only got one pick today. So I've been recently reading, listening to an audiobook called Black Man in a White Coat. And it is, I don't know if it's called a memoir, but it's uh, writings of a guy, an African-American medical doctor, uh, and his experiences in the medical community with racial issues. And I really liked it. He's so far at least been fairly non-judgmental. He's just kind of just describing his experiences, not necessarily blaming anybody for the state for things, but just talking about the issues and his direct experiences with them and larger uh, systemic things when it comes to health in relationship to race issues. And I've really enjoyed the book. It's really opened up my eyes to a lot of things. So if you're interested in something like that, I highly, highly recommend Black Man in a White Coat. All right, Lucas, what are your picks? I have two picks this week. My first pick is, mentioned it earlier, a Sitespeed.io, a Gulp plugin. Um, I recommend, if you care about performance at all, super easy to hook up, super easy to run, and you get some really nice metrics and information about how performant your site is uh, based on some industry best practices. My second pick, and I'm contemplating about how much I'm going to share here, um, I recently read a book called The Power of Vulnerability by Brene Brown. And it's safe to say that it's absolutely going to change my life. It did change my life. And he just talks about really how people, when they base their actions out of shame, how it affects their behavior and ways to to tackle that. And is a content creator and somebody who's dedicated really my entire career to producing content and helping people. I wrestle with that every time I go to publish a blog post or release a video or, you know, announce a workshop is I kind of wrestle with that kind of that internal dialogue. And anyways, Renee is amazing. She just super funny dialogue, really, really great book. And I recommend that, you know, everybody read it. And um, it was a bit emotional for me, but I think everybody deals with behavior that comes from a place of shame, scarcity. And I think it really kind of profound some of the 
that she had to say and share. Cool. I've just got one pick. It's kind of a... What was that? It sounds powerful. Extremely. It kind of made me weepy, actually. So there, I said it. I was like, I did it or not? But it Real men cry. Real men cry. Yes, over ice cream in a parking lot. In front of <laughs> you said, I, All right, so I'm going to throw a pick out there real fast. I got this Manfrotto LED light. Um, I've got this, I don't know what to call it, but I put my phone in it. It goes on the top of my tripod, and then I can do videos with it. And especially the last couple of days, it's been rainy. It's nice to have a light that I can kind of aim and direct. So uh, I got this Manfrotto LED light that goes on, uh, it clips onto there. And it's pretty awesome. So I'm going to go ahead and pick that. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And Sean, what are your picks? All right. So I have four, but I'll be really quick with them. First is a video that Pascal Precht put on. I think I'm pronouncing his name right. Called Dependency Injection in Angular 2 that he had recorded at a, I think, New Tech Berlin uh, meetup. It is probably the best description of dependency injection that I've ever heard in Angular 1 and Angular 2. And I think the more people we get to watch that, the more people will understand just how everything hooks together. And it's really awesome. talks about uh, injection not only as a design pattern, but as a architecture as well. And pick number two is, is a GitHub repo done by Uri Shaked, which is Angular 2 IoT, and the companion, which is NG2 Simon. So essentially, it is a Angular 2 port to the Internet of Things. It hooks up with Johnny5, um, which is a JavaScript library that essentially ports to any Internet of Things device, whether it be our Arduino or uh, Raspberry Pi. Super cool. And then the last thing would be anybody who's interested in... Uh, webpack in Angular, or wants to see 50 different ways on how to set up Angular 2, go to the Angular class GitHub and check out any of those repositories. They're going to have a whole bunch of boilerplates. All right. Well, thanks for coming, Sean. If people want to follow you on Twitter or see what you're working on these days, where do they go? On Twitter, I'm at thelarkin, except with two N's, so thelarkinn. And then on Medium, you can find me uh, posting about Hacking Angular 2, and also at the Larkin. Uh, otherwise, you can check out my GitHub or uh, find me on Stack Overflow with the same username. All right, cool. Well, thanks for coming. Uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this up, and we'll catch everyone next week at ng-conf. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today. 